My, my goodness. What a performance there. Did you see these throws? Honestly, it was it was an upset. It was an upset. Uh, for all of the numbers of, mm. of dad athletes and, right. and parents and coaches in the building to be upset, yeah, honestly, by the G-Kids coming in just super strong mm-hmm. with that performance. You'd think with the... With the amount of baseball jerseys that we've seen with dads, Ronnie, even dads wearing softball jerseys. Yeah, it looks like for some of them, um, it was their kids' softball jerseys. The sizes were a little snug, a little tight, might have affected the throwing motion a little bit. I mean, you could see dads in the back already have got some ice there on their shoulders. Yeah, on their shoulders. Stretching it out a little bit right. as if we're going to do it again. You're right. No, that's it. It was a one and done. It that's was an impressive, right. impressive performance. By the young ones. Worship set was also really solid mm, today. Great job by the worship leaders across all three campuses. All, three. all right, so I'm looking here at at some of the measurables for, for our right. worship teams. And you know it's a it's a poorly kept secret that athletes like to list right. mm-hmm. some of their some of their measurables as a little bit more impressive than they are in real yeah. life. Like let's take our, our guy Spencer Melton Spencer over at the Milton. Walton campus. He's listed here at five nine. I'm going to be honest, I've met the guy. There's yeah. just no way. There's no way. There's just no way. That's way too generous. Now, I mean, his performance was spot on. I, I agree. We saw him at the Worship Leader Combine. And that's right. I mean, it, there's no way 5'9 is, is where he's You're right, but listen, he outperforms it. He really does. I mean, I have mean, you seen him do production? It was panic at the disco, and they nailed it. It was really, Absolutely really fantastic. solid. He's always consistent. That's yeah. what we look for. Yeah, consistency is always a key. Speaking of consistent, we're working our way up towards a message here. That's right. Jonathan got a couple of throws in, I hear, at the Azora campus. Um, looked a little awkward. Again, little maybe odd. it's Russ versus Russ. But right. listen, the main event is on the way. He is going to bring the He's message coming. now. So if you look for, honestly, like the question is, Jonathan as closer, as we wrap up experiencing God and we look as the way, like, can he bring it home? We've gone week after week after week of solid performance here of good delivery. Mm -hmm. Like the question is, can he finish the drill? Yeah, I mean, what's obviously you see what's difficult here with trying to close out this game is the obnoxious roll tides coming in from the crowd. Just over and over. You just, you got to get through them. Right. And obviously we know Jonathan's an LSU fan Mm -hmm. and that's just too bad. I mean, what a showing from students all Honestly. around at every campus. Yeah, we're excited for, for all the students going to be right. crashing the waters today. It's it's a pretty exciting time. Honestly, like the young generation, That's this right. next up-and-coming generation has really showed us a lot. We have the athletic feats of winning a game earlier on in the day, like yeah. crushing people who are literally twice their size yeah. in an athletic competition, which is always impressive. I mean, and then right. on the spiritual side, we have kids like taking a next step of faith and getting that's baptized. Right. I mean, like, You see, Andrew, I feel like we couldn't wrap up the day without mentioning we have someone in the building who has struck out Brett Favre. Brett Favre? Wait, when did this happen? I, who knows? It's a real story? It's a real story. It's I've heard it mentioned. Um, some kid in a t-ball team supposedly struck out. It's not Brett a fable? Favre. Um, it's not an urban myth. Uh, do we really know? It's not just a, like a legend. Well, anyways, it's been a fantastic, phenomenal, excuse me, overall day here at Jersey Day 2019. It's been great seeing families and teams show up. Um, uh, probably for the pizza, but nonetheless, probably we for had the a pizza. great Sunday. It was a solid serving of Jesus to go along right. with it, which we're always pretty excited about here at Grace mm-hmm. Church. We hope you'll stick around after for our dunk contest right after the show. Right, lots of dunks today. Lots of dunks Different today. Variety. We've got a ton of people going down in these dunks. Yeah, it's happening. We're excited, and we hope you are too. Thank you for joining us here, Jersey Day 2019. We hope to see you next year, and have a phenomenal rest of your Sunday. All right, let's give uh, Daniel and Andrew a hand. It really is a big question today, isn't it? Am I, I going to be rusty, rusty or rested? You know, so we'll, 
We'll see how I close out the Experience in God series. Well, welcome to Grace Home. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. I'd like to welcome our Walden campus, our Conan campus, everybody who's watching uh, online. Now, before we dive into the last message in the Experience in God uh, series, I wanted to thank our, our pastor, Heath Hollinsworth, for doing a phenomenal job last Sunday. Did he not do incredible? And it's, it's been neat for me to see Heath go from, he came to know Christ as a college student. He was in small group. He began serving uh, back in, in the tech area. And then he was an intern, and then he came on staff. He was rookie at sports camp and all of these great things. And now to see him serving as a pastor is just an incredible thing to see. And I loved his message last week because he talked about making adjustments. And I want to encourage you to make whatever adjustment God is leading you uh, to make. And so let's just review the seven realities of experiencing God. It's been one week building on top of the other. We have a little diagram here. God is at work all around us. He's obviously moving here at Greystone Church. Our job is to see where God is at work. He invites us into a relationship with him. He invites us to join him in his work. And then he speaks to us. He clearly speaks to us. God speaks to different people in different ways. But he speaks to us, tells us exactly what he wants us to do. And then we have this crisis of belief, don't we? Are we going to do what God wants us to do? And then we step out in faith. We make the adjustment. We're obedient. And as we're obedient to do what God calls us to do, we experience him more. We have a closer relationship with him. And so today we're looking at reality seven. If you're taking notes, we're going to go over that real quick. Reality seven is you come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. You come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. So the title of today's message is Obedience Leads to Experience. And so when we obey God, we come to know him at a deeper, closer relationship. We come to experience him better. And so when God speaks to us and he leads us to, to do something, as he talked about last week, we have to make a life adjustment to adjust our lives and step out in faith and be obedient to him. Now, many times when we're obedient to God, there's a sacrifice involved. There's a sacrifice of time. There's a sacrifice of money. There's a sacrifice of of our lifestyle. Maybe there's a sacrifice of, of, of not getting to do what, what we want to do. Like we make, we make this adjustment, we make this sacrifice, but as we step out in faith and are obedient to do what God calls us to do, he uses us to fulfill his purposes, but also he draws us closer to himself. And the closer we get to God, the more we know what it is that he calls us to do. Does that make sense? You're picking up what I'm putting down, you catch what I'm throwing, right? So it's, it's like a, it's a process. We grow closer to him. We know more what he wants us to do, and we step out in faith and do it. And then as we do what he wants us to do, then we, we grow closer to him. And so it's a, it's a, it's a continual uh, process. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been hearing stories from, from people in our church who made life adjustments, who made some, some major life adjustments to to do what it was that God was calling them to do. And so today we're going to hear Juan's story. So let's, let's hear what Juan has to say. Hi, I'm Juan. I am a leader at our Oconee campus. I grew up with Daniel, for, for those people who don't know. We went to the same church growing up. We were always involved in anything you can think of. 
any activities, any plans, any camping trips. We, we did it all. As time went by and as we started, grad as we started growing up and we graduated, we, we did went our separate ways, but we always kept in touch. I remember being 17, being offered a job, and it came with a lot of benefits. He, my boss at that moment, provided me with education, and he sent me to all certifications, all courses, everything you can name of, and I knew I wanted to be well-rounded in that field itself. I saw the company basically just grow from being something and just grow very, very fast, very quickly. And we started having more employees. And I remember as the company started to grow, we, we bought a warehouse. And during the construction process, I, I wrote down a Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. So the way I would start praying started to change. The way that I would ask my prayer started to change. It went from asking what God, you know, you give me what you think is best for me. And I always asked him, you know, God, I want this. God, I want that. God, I, I, wanna, I want more money or I want this. And he gave me everything that I ever needed at that moment. But I felt like I was still lacking something. I just didn't know at that moment what it was. I remember one day Daniel calling me eight months ago, telling me, you know, to get involved with students and kind of pushed that to the side and kind of said, yeah, it sounds good, but wasn't really my main priority at that moment. Wanted to be, wanted to keep growing the company. And as time went by, he kept asking me, he kept uh, persuading me to go and kept asking constantly, constantly, constantly. And I just said, you know what, kind of threw in the towel and I said, I'm going to go. And... I went to all the special events. I said, you know, this is going to be my goal. I'm going to at least go to that stuff. And one day he invited me to go to Breakthrough. And I remember telling him without hesitation, yes, I'll, I'll go. And as the day started approaching, I remember feeling like this anxiety, feeling kind of nervous, feeling, you know, kind of making up excuses not to go. And, but God didn't allow that to happen. He, he kind of said, no, you're going. And I just kind of went with the flow. I remember getting that Friday to church and just seeing the kids smile. It just brought a smile to me and kind of motivated me more during the breakthrough process. And during that whole weekend, it, it showed me, you know, I, I fell in love with the kids. I fell in love with the students. It, it just opened up my heart and it opened up my mind and changed, started to change my perspective and my priorities a lot. I remember that Sunday coming back, I sat down, I, I was laying down in bed and I said, you know, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what God has been pushing me towards, towards. That Monday came along, I sat in his office and I told him, you know, I was like, hey, I want to, I'm going to be going every Wednesday nights to students. I'm going to be more involved in church. And he said, you sure this is what you want to do? said yes without a, without a doubt without a hesitation he said you know the consequences that come with this and I said yes he's like you know you get pay cut you know you get less responsibilities you know you want to bring you down and I said I know I'm aware but this is this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do that Wednesday night I was dedicated to go to, to students and I remember arriving that Wednesday 
and I was telling Daniel, I was walking in to go tell Daniel the good news, saying I'm going to be more involved, I'm going to start going to students more, and one of our students, Max Wilson, I remember when I, when I was telling Daniel the news that I was going to be more involved, seeing him smile made me realize you that was God telling me, this is where I want you, this is what you need, this is what's for you. And I realized God has given me everything that I've ever asked for just to show me that all I ever needed was Him. Appreciate Juan sharing his story. Now, as we come to the close of this series, I have a very important question for you. I want you to ask yourself, where do you need to obey God? Like, what is God calling you to do? Where do you need to make an adjustment in your life to where you need to obey God. Maybe you need to be baptized. Now, today we have a lot of people scheduled to be baptized, but we're also having spontaneous baptism. So, so we're going to give you an opportunity to be immediately obedient to do what God calls you to do. Uh, we had one of our men in the first service came and got baptized in the clothes that he wore to church because he said, now's the time. I'm being immediately obedient to do what God has called me to do. It's pretty exciting. And maybe God's going to do that with you. Maybe for you it's tithing. Like maybe, maybe, maybe when you were baptized, you, you got baptized, but you held your wallet up out of the water, right? Because everything got baptized but your money. And uh, God, you can have everything in my life but my money. Or maybe for you it's a sin. It's a particular sin that, that God has, has put his finger on. He, he, he's been pointing it out in your life. And you need to repent of that sin. Or maybe he's calling you to do some type of ministry for him, to serve him in some way. One of the neat things for me over the last few weeks is God has been calling some folks in our church to to full-time ministry. And maybe God's calling you to full-time ministry. Or maybe he's calling you to go on a mission trip. Or maybe he's just calling you to to walk across the backyard and share your faith with your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. What is God calling you to do? Where do you need to be obedient? And are you going to be obedient? Jesus has some really strong words about obedience. Let's look at John chapter 14, verse 15 and following. It says, this is Jesus, okay? This is red letters in your Bible, right? It's Jesus talking. If you love me, You will obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Jesus puts it very, very plain and simple, doesn't he? If, if, you, if you don't obey me, then you don't love me. These are not Jonathan's words. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says, if you don't obey me, then you really don't love me. And you may say that you love me, but you're not showing it with your actions. Obedience is the outward expression of your love for God. Obedience is, is the outward expression of of your love for God. If you have an obedience problem, 
you have a love problem. If you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. If you love God, you will obey God. This is crystal clear. This is red letters in our Bible. This is Jesus Christ speaking. If we love him, we will be obedient to do what he calls us to do. So let me ask you the question again. Where do you need to obey God? Where do you need to obey God? Now, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at examples in the Bible, these incredible narratives. We looked at Moses and Abraham, and last week we looked at the, the fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and, and John. And God speaks to different people in, in different ways. Today, I want us to look at the story of Gideon. Now, if you don't know the story of Gideon, it, it's an incredible story. I'm going to share the story out of Judges chapter 6 through 8. We're not going to read it verse for verse. I'm just going to tell the story. But as I'm telling the story, the whole time I want you to be asking yourself, where do I need to obey God? What is God calling me to do? And this is the story of God's call on Gideon's life. Okay? Many times in the Old Testament, and this is what we're going to learn here, is they would turn away from God. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so because they did evil, they suffer the consequences. And he turns them over to the hand of the Midianites. And so the Midianites had oppressed them. They were so scared of the Midianites that they're living in the caves. They're living in the clefts of the, the mountains. Because the Midianites would come in and they would steal their crops and they would steal their livestock and they would, they would ravage the land. And their enemies were so numerous The Bible says they were like a swarm of locusts. You couldn't even count the number of camels. You couldn't even count the number of soldiers. And it got so bad that the Israelites finally turned back to God. And unfortunately, that happens in our lives, right? Things get so bad that we finally turn back to God and they cry out to God. And so God sends an angel to Gideon. Gideon's minding his own business right? Gideon's not coming up with these great plans that he's going to do for God. In fact, Gideon is, is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press, but he was hiding out from his enemies. And he didn't want his enemies to steal his provisions and steal his food. And so this angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and he tells Gideon, he says, the Lord is with you mighty warrior. I mean, imagine this. Imagine you're minding your own business. You're in your garage. You're doing some work. And an angel of the Lord comes to you and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, if the Lord is with me, if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening to us? Like, why are they, why are they still in our our produce and still in our food and still in our livestock and why are we living in caves like if the lord is with us why are all these terrible things happening to us i don't know if you can relate to gideon or there's ever been a time in your life when you can relate to gideon but i can relate to gideon i i, I feel the same way like intellectually i know if the lord is with me i know the lord is with me but if god is with me why are, all these, why are all these difficult things happening to me? 
Why are we going through such a difficult time? I mean, I was reading this passage a few weeks ago. It's almost like the words jumped off the page. And just as the Lord was speaking to Gideon, the Lord was speaking to me. He said, Jonathan, I am with you, mighty warrior. I want you to be my mighty warrior. And God spoke to me. And he said, Jonathan, I want you to be the pastor of Greystone Church. I want you to be the leader of Greystone Church. I want you to step up and be a mighty warrior and fight for our church. So I want you guys to know I'm not going anywhere, okay? I'm here. I've called, I'm called to be the leader, and I'm called to do what God has gifted me to do. And I'm going to be a mighty warrior. I'm going to fight for our church. I'm going to fight for our communities. I'm going to fight for our families. I'm going to fight for our kids. Right, I got to get back to the story. We're talking about Gideon, right? We're not talking about Jonathan. But God did use this passage in my life. So the Lord turns to Gideon and he says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. I am sending you. So this is God's call on Gideon's life. This is an experiencing God moment, right? God is at work. God is moving. God is the one who initiates this relationship with Gideon. He's the one that comes to Gideon. He invites Gideon to join him in his work. And he speaks directly to Gideon. He's perfectly clear. Gideon, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm going to use you. You're my mighty warrior. I'm going to send you to save the Israelites from the hands of of their enemies. I am sending you. It's crystal clear, is it not, what God is calling Gideon to do? Can anyone guess what happens next? A crisis of belief, right? God has clearly spoken. He's called Gideon to do this, to be this, this mighty warrior. But then Gideon has this crisis of belief. He says, but Lord... How many times have we said, but Lord? God calls us to do something. It's crystal clear that this is what he wants us to do. And we say, but Lord, but what about this? And but what about that? And what about the money? And what about our family? And what about our safety? And what about our protection? And but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. <laughs> It'd be kind of like one of, our, one of our ball teams, one of our ball players saying, how could we win the championship? I'm on the worst team in the league, and I'm the worst player on my team. Hopefully no one here feels that way, but that's what Gideon is saying. I'm on the worst team. My family's the least of, of all the families in Israel. And I am the least in my family. Gideon is so insecure, he has, he has no confidence. And this is what the Lord said. The Lord answered, I will be with you. <laughs> and you will strike down all the Midianites. 
Remember the swarm of locusts like they can't even be counted? God says, I'm with you. It doesn't matter if you're weak. It doesn't matter who you are. If God is with you, he's going to give you the victory. So God is speaking again, and he's, he's telling, look, I'm sending you. You're a mighty warrior. You're going to save Israel. It's going to happen. I'm going to be with you. So what does Gideon say? Well, can you give me a sign? Can you give me a sign that it really is you speaking to me? Now, an angel of the Lord came and spoke to him, but he still wants a sign. Do you ever ask God for a sign? I do. Every time I see a live deer, it's like a sign from God. When I see a dead deer on the road, that's not really a sign. But, but like when I see a live deer, there's just some, when we were, we were over here investigating this area 15 years ago before we moved here from Texas, some of the guys who were recruiting us to come here, they took me to play golf. So we're out, we're out on the golf course, and, and these four deer come, come running across the, I think it's the third fairway. It's like, I'm in, sign from God. We see a rainbow in the sky, it's a sign from God. Or sometimes you, you feel like the, the clouds form a certain shape, and it's like, oh, this is, this is a sign from God. So Gideon wants a sign from the Lord. He goes and prepares an offering. He takes a young goat. He takes some unleavened bread, and, and he, gets, he brings it to present to the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, put it on this rock. Put the goat on the rock, put the bread on the rock, pour some broth over it. And then the angel of the Lord touches the rock with his staff, and it just consumes, like fire blazes, and it just consumes the, the offering. And, and, and Gideon is convinced, yes, the, I, the angel of the Lord, I, I've, become, I've come face to face with the angel of the Lord. And he was worried that he was going to die. And the Lord says, you, you, you're, you're not going to die, okay? You will have peace. Now, it's interesting here. He's calling him to be a mighty warrior, but the end goal is peace, right? And so then Gideon builds this altar and, and, and makes this sacrifice to God, and he names it, the Lord is peace. And that same night, God says, Gideon, I want you to tear down the altars of the false god. They were, the, the nation of Israel had been worshiping the Baals. They, they had the Asherah poles. He said, I want you to tear all that stuff down and build a proper altar. Build, a, build an altar for me, the one true God. So what, what's God doing here? He's reestablishing himself as the God of the Israelites. Right? They were worshiping false gods. And he's using Gideon as mighty warrior. He says, warrior, tear down these, these false idols and these false altars and build a proper altar, right? We need to do this in our country, do we not? We're worshiping all, all of these false gods. We need to be mighty warriors, stand up for what we believe in and reestablish God as the leader. It needs to happen in our churches. A lot of churches are worshiping false gods, need to reestablish that, that he is our God, the one true God. So Gideon's a little nervous about this because everybody's worshiping these Baals. And so he decides to get 10 of his servants and to do it at night so that they wouldn't see him doing it, right? So he tears down the, 
the altar to Baal. He tears down the Asherah poles. He builds a proper altar. God tells him to sacrifice from his father's herd the second bull. And he does it. So they wake up the next morning. And all the men in the town are like, well, who, who tore down the altar to Baal? Who tore down the Asherah pole? And he does some investigation. And they find out it's, it's Gideon. So they go to Gideon's father, Joash. And they say, your son tore down our altar. He needs to come out here. He needs to die. <laughs> you need to bring your son out because he needs to die. And I love what Joash says. He says, can Baal not defend himself? Like, why are you defending this? If he really is a god, he can take care of himself if someone's tearing down his altar. Right? So, so dad's like, no, I'm with my son. Right? We're, we're reestablishing that we're going to worship the one true God. And then the, the enemies rally the troops, right? The Midianites, the Amalekites, all the people in the east. And they cross over the, the Jordan River and, and they set up camp in the valley of Jezreel. And they're about to attack the, the Israelites. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. And he assembles an army from everybody in, in the region. He puts together this this army. God has spoken to him. God's called him. He's going to be a mighty warrior. He's going to have the victory, right? And so he says, well, God, I need another sign. <laughs> Can you believe Gideon? I mean, God's clearly spoken to him. He's already given him a sign, and Gideon says, no, I want another sign. He says, I'm going to put out this wool fleece tonight. And in the, when the morning dew comes... I want to ask you, God, if it's really as you speaking to me and you're really going to give us victory over enemies, I want all the morning dew to go on the wool fleece and all the ground around it to be dry, right? So Gideon wakes up the next morning and God gives him a sign and God does what he asks. So all the, all the dew is on this wool fleece. The ground all around it is dry. He says he took this fleece out and wrung it, and it filled up a bowl full of water. So God gave him a second sign. Then Gideon says, well, Lord, I hope you're not angry with me. I'm not really, I just want to make sure now that really is you speaking to me. So can you reverse it tonight? So tonight, when the morning dew comes, I want the morning dew to go on the ground all around it, but for the wool fleece to stay dry, Right? So God entertains him, and, and God gives him another sign. And so now he knows that God is with them, and, and they're, they're going to go into battle. He's, he's rallied the troops the next morning, and they're about to, to go into war. And God says, hang on a second, Gideon. You've got too many soldiers. And Gideon says, what are you talking about? Because we've done the scouting report on this army they have an estimated 135,000 soldiers. We've only got 32 soldiers, 32,000 soldiers. They have four times the soldiers that we have. And God says, you've got too many soldiers. Because if you go into battle and you win the war, you're going to take credit for it. Instead of God getting the glory. He said, ask the troops if any of you is afraid. Raise your hand if you're afraid to go into battle. I mean, who's not raising their hand, right? 
22,000 soldiers raised their hands. I'm, I'm a little nervous about this. Gideon sends them home. 22,000 soldiers. So now they've only got 10,000 soldiers going up against 130,000 soldiers. I'm not sure what the odds are on that. And the Lord says, Gideon, you still have too many soldiers. You got to be kidding me, right? Take the troops down in the water and see how they drink water. The troops that that get down and, and grab the cup the water in, in their hands and lap it up like dogs, those are the ones that you're to take into battle. And those are the ones who I'm going to use to give victory. Of the 10,000 soldiers, you know how many bent down and held the water in their hands? 300. Gideon sends home 9,700 other soldiers. So now it's Gideon's 300... Verse 135,000 soldiers. Are y'all with me? And so God gives him the game plan. Okay, we're not going to use weapons here. Okay. Your weapons are going to be empty glass jars, a torch, and a trumpet. Come on. Right? So that's the game plan. Divide up into groups of three groups of 100 circle the camp and when I when in the middle of the night while they're sleeping when Gideon gives you the go ahead smash your jars raise your torches in your left hand and blow your trumpets in your right hand wow what a what a game plan huh and then everybody yell for Gideon and for the Lord so they do what God asked them to do They circle the camp in the middle of the night. They smash their jars. They hold up their torches. They blow their trumpets. They yell the sword for Gideon and for the Lord. In the Midianites, they wake up. They see all the torches. They think they're outnumbered. God causes them to turn on each other, and they begin sword fighting each other. Gideon and his men, they they stand their ground. They're holding their torches. They're blowing their trumpets. And 120,000 enemy soldiers lost their lives that night. 120,000. Fifteen escape, along with a couple of the kings. And Gideon and his 300 men, they track down the 15,000 soldiers. They sneak up on them, and they rout the entire army. Gideon and 300 men took out 135,000 soldiers. Soldiers. And the nation of Israel enjoyed peace for 40 years. Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He wanted him to be a mighty warrior, but the end result is peace. Now, There are a lot of lessons we can learn from this story, right? But the one main lesson I want you to see is it doesn't matter how many people you have on your team. It doesn't matter how many people you have in your church. It doesn't matter how many people you have in your organization or your family. If the Lord is with you, 
you're going to win the battle, right? If the Lord is with you, you're going to win the battle. If God is for us, who can be against us? Victory is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, let's go back to what I asked you before. Where do you need to obey God? What is it that God is calling you to do? Because listen, if God is calling you to do it, you might be saying, but Lord, if God is calling you to do it, and he says that he's with you, you're going to have the victory in Christ Jesus. You picking up what I'm putting down? What is God calling you to do? It's interesting, isn't it, how different people respond to God in different ways? Because Moses, he didn't feel qualified, did he? It's like, God, you've got, you've got the wrong guy. You've got the wrong person. I, I talk to people all the time. They don't feel qualified to serve God. They say, well, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I've got news for you. Nobody's good enough. We're not serving God because we're good enough. Nobody's good enough. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. We're, ser- we're serving God because we're being faithful and obedient to do what he has called us to do. You might, you might be, be like Gideon, and you, you feel like you're weak. You, you, you're insecure. And how, how, how could God use me? And so you throw out some fleeces and... Or maybe you're like Abraham. I love Abraham, Abraham, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Immediate obedience. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. It said early the next morning he woke up to set out to do what God had called him to do. We looked at the fishermen last week, Peter and Andrew, James and John. When God calls them, when Jesus calls them, at once they left their nets and followed him. We also looked at the story of the rich young ruler, who when Jesus called him, he was disobedient, and he didn't follow Jesus. I want to encourage you today, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, and you know that he's clearly spoken to you, there's no need to throw out a fleece. There's no need to question Am I good enough? I'm not qualified. Immediate obedience. Step out in faith and do what God has called you to do.